listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke 24. That is where that was read and encourage you if you uh, don't have a Bible or would like one of our Bibles, there are some on the back table. That is our gift to you that you can take home with you and you can use it and, and uh, follow along on Sundays. Just always encourage people to bring their Bibles and to follow along as we go through God's Word Sunday after Sunday. And there on that Easter Sunday morning, I mean, talk about exciting for the followers of Christ. How exciting to have the stone rolled away and to have the angels come and say he's not here he's risen and 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 just imagine the shock of all of that and and for us today Easter Sunday is a celebration and oftentimes it has to do with family and friends and church family and and uh, good meals and sometimes it's turkey and ham and and just other kind of traditions that that we have including a good Friday service like we were able to do outside this year it was just a wonderful time to to gather together and Lord willing we'll do it again next good Friday uh, a year from now. Um, and, and so for us, Easter is this kind of woohoo kind of moment. It's a time for us to celebrate. I mean, I went to bed last night. I had a hard time sleeping because I was just pumped about today because this is celebration day. And, and I read this week that the Christian life is all about rhythm, but there are times where it kind of crescendos and where it builds. And Easter is one of those times where it just builds and it's just like it's party time. And I mean, I'm wearing a suit. I mean, that doesn't happen often. And I even told, uh, I told one of... Uh, our elders um, in our church, I, I told them, I said, we might have some funerals this week because some people are going to have heart attacks because I'm actually wearing a suit. And, and, uh, and he says, well, that's good. And then he also said, well, I guess you won't have to change that. You just keep wearing it and you're good to go, ready for those funerals. So, you know, Easter, I mean, for us, it's so exciting. But that first Easter, it wasn't quite so exciting. There was a lot of bewilderment. There's a lot going on that day. And that first Easter, and this is our first Easter as a church to be able to celebrate, but on that first Easter, we see that the followers of Christ were, first of all, they were hurting. And you see this, we're just going to work through here in, in Luke chapter 24 and going to see these, the, these truths, that, that they were hurting. They were filled with loss and, and with grief, and, and you can even write down the, the, these main topics as we go through it. First of all, they were hurting. They were filled with loss, and they were filled with grief. Their leader, their rabbi, their teacher, the one they had been following all these years was dead. And it seemed all hope was gone. When the sun came up on that, on that Sunday morning, the first day of the week, their group of ladies were, were heading off to the tomb. It always seems whenever there is a death, women have to be busy doing something, right? You know, I mean, that's just kind of in their instinctive nature. It's like, I've got to take over a casserole to someone. I've got to take over a meal. You know, you, you want to express some kind of sympathy. You want to do something about it. And so these poor ladies, I mean, they saw Jesus on the cross. They saw his limp body come down from there. They saw him just quickly wrapped because the Sabbath was coming. They had to get him and, and because of Sabbath regulations and rules, they, they, they just quickly dealt with the body and they saw that he was put into a tomb so they knew where he was but they were like, he needs a proper burial. He needs the proper spices and, and perfumes and different things and, and be wrapped properly and so they couldn't do it on the Sabbath but they could go on the first day of the week and so at early morning they probably had not slept much since Friday night. I mean, just could you imagine the, I mean, just what they were going through and just seeing the horrific activity 
activities that had taken place the day before even on that Good Friday and then seeing their dear Jesus on the cross and to see him die and to see him taken away and, and, and so they probably didn't sleep much and they were just first thing Monday morning we're going to the tomb. So they're heading to the tomb, they're hurting, they're filled with loss, they're filled with grief and they're also a little bewildered. They're not really sure what's going on, just kind of confused by everything and and because and they get there and the stone is rolled away and it's, oh no, what's going on? And, and they go in, they take a look and, and, and someone stole the body. Who stole the body? And it's kind of funny that they weren't even thinking. They didn't even have the realm of possibility that a resurrection had taken place. They assumed it was a robbery. And so they were rather um, concerned. And then these two angels, we see um, angels in white clothes, gleaming, radiating, it says, the glory of God. And, and these angels speak to them then. And, and in verse 5, it says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. And they're basically saying to these women, why did you come to anoint a dead Jesus? Like, why do you even, why do you think he's dead? This is kind of crazy. And the angels actually, as you read this and, and, and lead, read it in the literary form, they actually give a rebuke to the disciples. Like, what were you thinking, ladies? Come on. Like, how silly of you, I mean, for you to even come here. This, this doesn't mean, he's not here. He's alive. And then he goes on, the angel gives some instructions, and, 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 and the angel instructed them from the word of God, reminded them of God's word, kind of gave them a rebuke here even, and says, In verse 6, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? (laughs) Well, it's happened. Don't you, hello, you know, kind of, you know, that whole McFly, wake up, you know, like, I mean, he's alive. You you heard the words and kind of give them a little bit of a rebuke, but also the instruction, reminding them of God's word. And the angel called to them and, and, and reminded, remember God's word. Don't forget. How, how could you forget it? He told you over and over. In, and at least four times that we have it recorded in Luke 9, in Matthew 8, and in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus told his, his disciples, his closer followers, we don't know the, the, the largeness of the crowd that heard it, but he told them specifically, he said, that he would be arrested by the high priest, he would be turned over to the Gentiles, that he would be flogged and murdered, but then he would rise from the dead. But for some reason, they didn't hear it. They, they heard, but they didn't hear. Well, how come they didn't hear? I mean, how, how could have they have missed it? I mean, he told them numerous times. Well, does that sometimes happen to us? Where we hear something, but we don't really hear it? Husbands, can you admit to that? That sometimes your wife tells you something and you hear it, but you really have no clue or remember what she was saying. Yeah, come on, you, you, this is church. You can be honest. You can be forgiven. You know, and, um, you know or, or teenagers, you know, I told you this and... Oh, I didn't hear you. Yes, you did. You even nodded, but you were in, on, on your gadget. And, 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 and you go, yes, mom, or yes, dad. And you heard, but you really didn't hear. I mean, that sometimes kind of happens. We had some friends visiting recently, and uh, I was reminded of how they used to have, remember those lava lamps? Remember that? Like, they used to have them, like, years and years ago. And then a few years ago, they kind of brought them in again and kind of made them, you know, sort of the, the trendy thing. And so they had one of these lava lamps. And he would just be... Just so taken with the lava, he would, his wife would actually have to unplug it, take it, and put it away when she wanted to have a serious conversation with him, because he would be so distracted by the, 
lava lamp. And so he had no clue, had no understanding what his wife at times was saying. He was just like, is that lava lamp on again? Because there, he was just staring, staring at it, you know. And, um, and, and sometimes that's the way we can be. And that's the way, I wonder if that's how or why the ladies and the followers of Christ were. Were, were they distracted when Jesus was telling them? Or, or did they have their own agenda? Or were they, oh, he's just, oh, that Jesus, he's probably just telling another one of his parables. You know, like it's not really going to happen because Who's going to kill Jesus after all? I mean, everyone, well, almost everyone just loves him. And if people don't love him, we'll pulverize him. We'll take care of them because, you know what, Jesus, I mean, everyone, they heard it, but they didn't hear. So now the ladies hear from the angels glowing with the radiancy, the same word for their, their gleaming clothes, um, that is used there are the same words that are used at the transfiguration when, when, um, when the appearance of the presence of God was there on the mountain and, and the same radiation, kind of radiating glory of these angels was there and they come to the ladies and tell them, he's risen, he's alive. So the ladies hear this and they run off to go tell the disciples. Matthew's account of the resurrection story says that Jesus then met them while they were running to go meet the disciples. Now, in this Luke 24 passage, as you continue to read, you see the same kind of progression happening in each one of the stories, the road to Emmaus. You can read that later on this, um, later on today. I encourage you to read that. Jesus shows up to some of his followers who are disillusioned, who are hurting, bewildered, and he shows up and he doesn't really um, show them his identity and, and so they don't recognize him and he starts talking with them and they're hurting over the events of what have happened. They're bewildered because now they even heard this report from these crazy ladies. You know, it must be, I mean, that Jesus is alive and, and yet they still didn't believe it. And then Jesus even rebukes them. And he says to them in verse 25 of Luke 24, he says, Oh foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But then he instructs them, he reminds them of God's word. And he leads them all through the Old Testament prophecies and said, See, I mean, the Old Testament is telling you this was going to happen. And, and why are you doubting? And, and so then these disciples, they believe. And I mean, I don't know how fast if they had clocks back then in maybe just the sundial kind of thing. It was probably already getting dark, so they wouldn't have been able to know exactly. But they hightailed it back to go find those disciples. And they were going to tell the disciples. And they went to the disciples and told them. The next story, as you continue to read, the disciples are hiding. Even they're hurting, they're bewildered because they're, they're hearing the stories from the ladies and now these other disciples that Jesus is alive and, and, and now Jesus shows up to them himself. And what does Jesus do to these hurting and bewildered disciples? He kind of rebukes them. He reminds them of the word and, and, and he says to them, you know, like, you guys, I mean, I told you that this would be happening. And, and, and he says, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And what ends up happening to those disciples? They saw the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus reminded them once again, I told you, I told you this was going to happen. And what happens to those disciples? They are transformed. Later on, you see, a few weeks later, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they turn from wimps to warriors. Guys who are hiding behind locked doors. Peter, who's denying Christ with a teenage girl, comes up and accuses him. Just, you know, at the night that Jesus uh, was betrayed. I mean, 
Peter's like, cry aloud, woman. I, I don't know that Jesus. He denies even knowing Jesus. And next thing you know, we see him in Acts chapter um, Acts chapter 2, he stands up and he preaches a sermon. There's no wimp left in him. He is a warrior for Christ because he saw the resurrection of Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. That changed everything. And as a result, his life was transformed. Our world has been transformed by the power of the gospel because of the resurrection. Totally transformed. I wonder today... How many of us are here this Easter Sunday? And you would say, you know what, I'm hurting. I'm hurting, I'm filled with some loss. I'm filled with grief. I, I'm, I'm bewildered by what's going on in, in my life, in my circumstances, in my mind, in my relationships. I'm struggling with fear, anxiety issues, depression. There's relationships that are just really messed up. My family's messed up. My struggling at work. I financial concerns and any one of it. I mean, all these different things may describe what's going on in this room here in, in our lives. And folks, we need to be reminded or even rebuked by God's word. Just as the prophecies about Jesus all happened and had been prophesied hundreds of years before. All became a reality and culminated with the resurrection of Jesus Christ just to show the validity of all of it. We need to know that there is strength, there is power in the word of God. That God can transform and change our lives. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we turn to God's word and we need to be rebuked and reminded of God's word that all scripture, it says, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that we will be thoroughly equipped. You want to be equipped for life? You're hurting, you're bewildered, you want to be equipped for life? We need to be people of the word and to know God's word and to know that God's word is true and it is accurate and it will guide us and it will strengthen us. We need to be people of the word. And, and, and see, it can sometimes be dangerous when if, if you don't really study the word, but turn to the word. And, and you can use it or misuse it in, in ways that, that aren't very good. You can fall into some bad teaching or some bad theology, or you can kind of get a little misled or off track. Some of you may have heard the story of the guy that was really struggling in, in life and, and, and just, you know, kind of thought, well, you know what, I'm going to open my Bible. And he opens his Bible, and he's like, hey, God, hit me with a verse. And, and he looks at the verse, and, and, and he turns to Matthew 27, and it says, and Judas went out and hung himself. Ah, that's not a very good verse, so, you know, turn another verse. Luke 10, 27, go and do likewise. Ah, you know, and then, okay, I've got to find another. John 13, uh, whatever you must do, do quickly. Ah, you know, and, and it's just like, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed, I mean, that's not a wise or very smart way to study God's word. That, that, that just doesn't go well for you. And, 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 and that's just kind of bad teaching. Or, or we can take verses of the Bible out of context to get them to say what we want them to say or to justify our life. That can be very dangerous. You have to take God's word in context. That's part of the reason why, or the main reason why, when it comes to preaching here Sunday after Sunday, even right 
right now. We're going through the book of Philippians on how we are to think biblically, how we are to think the way that, that God calls us, how his word calls us to think, because the world's going to tell us to think another way, and that leads to destruction. But when we take and follow God's word, it's a whole new way of thinking and, and, and developing the mind of Christ more and more in us. And, and it's so dangerous because we can, can, can take the word and, and use it in the wrong kind of way. For instance, I mean, and this is one of the more humorous ways that maybe people have justified some of their activities, but I've heard um, a biblical justification for smoking marijuana. Oh yeah, people have used this verse in Genesis 12. It's kind of funny. And the earth brought forth grass and God saw that it was good. You know, and so, okay. So, I mean, and so you read this and you think, okay, that, that's just a little silly, but you know what? I'm not going too far out of the, the realm of silliness to realize that people do that and, and will take God's word a verse at a time and use it in a wrong way to justify their life. And that's why we need to take all of God's word. And the great thing that when you study God's word and you go through God's word, you see there's one theme. And it's all about God's redeeming grace. From the Old Testament through to the New Testament, it's about Jesus. You can find images and, and ways that Jesus is described in, in various ways through every book of the Bible. The Bible is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. The Bible isn't just a collection of themes. It's one theme. It's redeeming grace. It is Jesus. Jesus is the central figure in the entire Bible. The Old Testament presents Christ as the one who is to come. The New Testament presents Christ as the one who has come. In the Old Testament, Christ is spoken of through prophecies. In the New Testament, he is spoken of as historical record and historical fact. That's what I love about our Harvest Kids program that we have here at Harvest. They're going through a three-year program called the Gospel Project that takes them through every book of the Bible. And on every book of the Bible, they find the Gospel story. They see the imagery, the links that there are to Jesus Christ throughout every book of the Bible. Why? Because we need our children to understand and to know God's Word is an anchor in a world that is going crazy all over the place that that he will lead us his his word is a light to our our path and and will be that guide for us and and you can even you can go on our facebook page and i just put it on this morning so you could see it there's a nice little video overview of the gospel project about what our kids your kids your grandkids your neighbor's kids whatever it might be whoever you're going to invite here to be be a part of our church are going to get the gospel sunday after sunday through every book of the Bible, and we want our kids. We all need to be people of the word. The answers to life are found in God's word. God's word rebukes us, in, in other words, reminds us, corrects us in different things. Do we like to be corrected? No, we oftentimes don't. But do we need teaching? Yes, we do. God's word does that in our lives. And that's why we turn to God's word for strength and for help. That's why we're getting small groups rolling here as a church, because it's important for us to be able to study God's word together and to pray together and, and have people speak God's word into our life, that if we're getting out of, out of line in some areas or kind of starting to, to do some things we maybe shouldn't be doing, some questionable kind of things that could lead to hurt or destruction or things we're at times not even aware of. We need brothers and sisters to walk with us, encourage us, sometimes rebuke us and correct us from the word of God. Because life is hard. But God's word has the answers. Just as it had for the people there on that Easter Sunday, God's word has answers for us. Folks, I want 
God's word tells us and reminds us that life is going to be hard. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You will have hardships. But he goes on to say, but take heart. He says, I've overcome it all. Take heart. Easter power from the resurrection is available for you in whatever it is that you're facing. And in fact, God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God is preparing for those that love him. God is preparing an incredible eternity for his children. But it's life here on earth that will weigh us down with struggles and difficulties and issues that at times may overwhelm us. And that is why we need God's word to be that anchor in our soul. God's word reminds us here today on this Easter Sunday, on our first Easter Sunday as a church, that resurrection power is available when we believe in Jesus Christ. That's what God's word teaches. When we've surrendered our lives to him and we've repented and we are turning from our sins and we invite Jesus to come into our lives, it will change. he will change us, he will transform us. Our situations, our life conditions around us may not change right away or ever, some of them, but we can experience resurrection power in our lives to navigate through the storms and through the hurdles of life. And in John 16, as I told you before, God's God's word tells us that we will have troubles, but he says, you're going to overcome them. You're going to overcome them with my help, my power, my strength. How has he overcome Easter is the big exclamation mark on all of that. That is where sin has been defeated, the grave has been defeated, and Christ reigns victorious today. And folks, you need to understand this, that resurrection power is available for you today, for the hurting, the bewilderment that you may be facing. Resurrection power is available for you and for your situation, whatever it is. There is no problem too great for God's power. And whether this is your first time in church or the first time in a long time, or if you're in church Sunday after Sunday, new life, new hope, new power, new strength is available each and every day for us. And we need that power each day. We try going on our own strength and our power, we're going to become run out, we're going to become weary, we're going to become burnt out, and we go on his power and strength. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. When you believe in me, I come in, I live inside of you, my spirit comes in you, and resurrection life will bubble out of your life. Romans 8.11. This is, I was talking about this message with my son yesterday, and, and late last night, he, before bed, he said, Dad, you got to look at this verse. And in Romans 8.11, and, and I mean, this, is just, this, this just summarizes, this is the exclamation mark about what the resurrection is about. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that incredible? You're hooked up to power, to his power. When you have the spirit of God living in you. But we need to ask for that spirit of God to come into our life, to fill us anew and afresh every day. We need to be turning and repenting from our sins because sin is a great hindrance to that. And perhaps you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, but you're not experiencing that resurrection power. It comes to you by simply asking, asking him to fill you afresh and anew. 
repenting of those areas of sin, desiring to turn from them. Perhaps you're here today and you've accepted Christ and, and, uh, and you need that infusion of power. You can pray that prayer in a few moments of just asking God to fill you anew and afresh. But maybe you've never invited Christ to come into your life. You can do that today too. I would encourage us all in the next few moments to take some time in bowing your head to encounter the resurrected Jesus. Let's bow together. I'm going to just lead in a number of prayers and you may want to pray along with me if this is the desire in your heart. And the first prayer I would love to lead you in and you can just pray quietly within your own heart is a prayer for you to receive Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never received Christ into your life or you're not sure if you ever have and you'd like to, to do that today. You desire to receive this resurrection power to change and to transform you just as the way that the disciples and those early followers of Christ were changed and transformed. You can just repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross for my sins, that I have done things against you and others that have been hurtful and wrong. And I would ask that you would forgive me. I desire to turn from my sin and to follow you, Jesus. Come in and be my Lord and my Savior. I invite the resurrected Jesus into my life by faith right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Continuing to bow if you prayed that prayer, you meant it with your heart, you need to believe by faith that just as when the angels appeared to those ladies and they ran in faith and they went running back to the disciples, the transformation came, they experienced Jesus and you can experience him throughout the course of this week and for the rest of your life as you continue to turn from him. And if you prayed that prayer, I just even ask you, just even to raise your hand, just say, hey, I prayed that prayer so we can continue to pray for you. It won't embarrass you, it won't point you out or anything like that, but just a statement before you and God that, hey, I desire to become your, your child today. If you prayed that prayer, just feel free to raise your hand. Perhaps you're here and you've prayed that prayer, but life really stinks for you. It's hard, it's a struggle. You're hurting today, even bewildered by world events and family events and things at work, and you're tired and you're weary and you desire a fresh touch from Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. I encourage you to pray along in your heart after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. That your victory is my victory. That you have given me the word of God to lead me and guide me. You've given me the body of Christ, people, the church, to love and encourage, teach and correct me. Jesus, I need you more and more in my life. 
turn from areas of sin, areas of sin that I've justified or I've made comfortable in my life. I repent of that. I'm sorry. Sorry for the hurt I've caused you, Jesus. The hurt that I've caused others. Forgive me. Fill me anew with your spirit, with your power today. That resurrection power wouldn't just be a nice thing that was talked about today, but a reality. Help me to live for you this week and for the rest of my life in resurrection power and not in my own strength and power. If you prayed that prayer today as a response to God in acknowledging that, I encourage you to raise your hand and just say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I need resurrection power in my life today in a fresh way. Lord Jesus, you know, I've seen the hands, but better than that, you know the hearts. And I pray that, Lord, that each person here would know that you love them, you're crazy about them. You, you went to the cross, you sent your son to the cross. All the wrath that we so deserve was poured out on him. And he defeated that, what we could never, ever come even close to defeating. And you rose victorious. And we can walk in that power. And may we be the most joyful and the most power-filled people in the power of the Holy Spirit on the face of this earth because the living God, His power is available to us. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would love and care for one another and for our, our city and our community here. And we would see resurrection power change and transform our city that it would be known as a city that worships Jesus, that loves Jesus. Do that in our city, do that in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.